Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Hey, hi, hello. Good morning, Vietnam. Uh, it's Mishka. How you doing? Um... This is Altercation Week, where uh, all of your favorite uh, comics, performers, degenerates are headed to Austin, Texas uh, to perform. I will be performing uh, the the day show, The Hangover Helper, on Saturday, October 22nd. Uh, so if you are in the in the area of awesome Texas, um, come, out in, uh, come out and see me play. Everybody's going to be there. Uh, Heels are going to be there. Mike and Ian from Riverboat Gamblers. Uh, Dante Powell, Jay Shanoin, a fucking million others who I'm forgetting. And when I see him at altercation, they'll be like, you fucking jerk. How did, how did you not mention me? Um, big bummer this last weekend, my, uh, the show here with Christine Levine got rained out. Um, in retrospect, I'm like, fuck, we should have just done it. But it rained real hard during the day, like sort of just dumped. My yard flooded immediately. The street flooded. And um, it was forecast for there to be huge rains right at 8, 9 o'clock when the show was going to be happening. So I made the decision to call it. And then, of course, that you know huge rainstorm never sort of materialized. I'm never doing that again. Fuck it. We're always going to go through with it. I just, the, I'm so annoyed. The, I bought all sorts of beer and liquor for y'all and then checked the weather. And uh, yeah, now I, now I have no fridge space left because there's a big dumb cube of Coors Light waiting for you guys to uh, come drink it. So we will have that at the next show. The next show is going to be uh, with Brandy Posey and Anna Valenzuela on... Where is it? Where is it? November 9th. Uh, it's a Wednesday, but it's still going to rule. It's definitely still going to rule. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, um, this is so stupid, but I have to detail this here. Uh, yesterday, I was... Uh, we had our first... First chilly day in Phoenix of the year, the um, so uh, first day of pants weather. Um, so I did a big uh, sort of, got a big baking tray and filled it with all sorts of fart-producing foods, uh, broccoli and uh, Brussels sprouts and peppers and onions and garlic. And, um, and before I stuck it in the oven, I took a photograph of it uh, with the head of my penis just resting on the baking tray and sent it to my my buddy uh, Brennan Whalen from Heels, um, <laughs> and uh, and what I and I had you know the veggies piled high in the tray, and so I, I just said, uh, did I stack the veggies too deep here? Just so, in, innocently soliciting cooking advice, and I thought I'd just sneak my dick into the photo there, and then he would like look at it and be like, ah, you know, big laugh. So I sent it to him. <laughs> didn't hear back right away and then a moment later he said i said did i stack the veggies too deep here and his response was i wouldn't say so just cook it lower and longer instead of hitting a broil and it should all turn out great the sprouts are going to take the longest so use them as your north star i and then i i just 
and I was I was like my reality folded in on on itself. I was like, did I instead of accidentally sending a dick pic somebody to somebody, did I just accidentally not send a dick pic to somebody? Is my is my dick that small and inconsequential that it just looks like a little I don't know a little a, an errant Brussels sprout? The um, if uh, if my dick is just actually translucent, invisible, the, that's a new a new problem for me to deal with. And then uh, moments later, Brennan said, you motherfucker. So he finally saw it. And uh, the way that he saw it is he wanted to double check the cooking advice he had just given me. So he handed the phone to his wife, Jess. And, uh, And he said, I literally just showed that to my wife to see if it should be 300 or 400. And she caught it first. And he called me later and, and and he said his wife just looked at the picture and rolled her eyes and said, you and your dumb buddies all have the same sense of humor and the same dumb dick. So, so I don't know the, if, uh, if you see, uh, if you see Brennan Whalen from heels, uh, let him know that, uh, that, you know, that he and I are dick twins and that his, and that his wife thinks that we're dumb. Uh, um, anyway, um, I, earlier this month, I got the opportunity to hang out with my friend, David Dondero, just a phenomenal songwriter. Uh, I've been a fan of his for 20 years now. I found a CD of his uh, in the pile when I was booking at Lux in Brooklyn and brought it home with me, and I still have it. And uh, over the last, whatever, five or six years, he and I have gotten to be good friends, and it's wild being... uh, It's always weird being friends with, you know, an artist you really admire. Um, And uh, so he was passing through Phoenix, so we did uh, shows here in Tucson and in Bisbee, and um, before uh, before we headed out on the road, uh, we recorded a podcast here. Uh, this is the point in this podcast where I will make an earnest plea to uh, to sign up for my Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. It, uh, it goes a long way, not just in, um, you know, in paying for Zoom and all the sort of different shit that we use to record the podcast but also just making me feel better that like that people are listening um and that they value it enough to uh i don't know to throw to throw me a buck or two um it's real easy to sign up uh if you throw me a dollar three dollars it uh it makes a big difference overall and it just makes me feel better like that like what i'm doing is worthwhile um, also you can find, uh, Dave Dondero on, uh, on Patreon. Um, he's probably more active there than I am. Um, his Patreon is patreon.com slash Dave Dondero. Uh, you can join for as little as $2 per month. It makes a huge difference to us. The, so I guess if you, if you dig what you're hearing today, uh, just take a minute to sign up. We appreciate it. Um, hopefully I will see you all in, uh, in Austin, Texas. The festival starts on the 19th Wednesday at kick butt coffee in, uh, in Austin. And 
it's the don't even look at who's on the bill. It's just it's wall to wall awesome performers. It's an incredible time. I look forward to this all year. Um, and for now, enjoy my conversation with my friend, songwriter Dave Dondero. That's not what a belt is for. <clears throat> How could you do that to you? How could you do that to you? How could you do that to you? <laughs> How could you? That's not a belt. That's not what a belt is for. How could you do that to you? How could you do? I guess we got our new uh, new intro music. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what a belt is for. The uh, how are you, Dave? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm uh mostly good. Mostly good? Yeah. Like uh 8515 or yeah, like uh, I'm trying to keep it keep it on the yeah. Yeah. Right on. Positive trip. The uh how was the uh how was the accommodation last night in the in the guest quarters? It was really 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 comfortable. Incredibly comfortable. And I um, haven't slept out there yet. The um but there's it's sort of been the the cream of the crop out there so far. My friend Jim from New Orleans slept out there. You've slept out there. My friend Roberto slept out there. It's a pretty exclusive club so far. Wow, that isn't it. Well, it's a luxurious guest suite, private casita on wheels. I uh, man, now I'm gonna have to like go and sleep out there when I get back from Bisbee just to see. You should see what it's like. The I used to have people just sleep in the shed back there. Uh-huh. And and I actually slept out there a couple of times. The um, when you're living with your girlfriend and then you fight so bad that you end up sleeping in your own shed. That's it. That's its own thing. But um, sleeping in the shed was awesome because there was there was no TV. It was only big enough for the mattress, so it was like you slept like it was your job. Like you just go in there and like, well, all right, time to clock in. Like, <laughs> and just went right to sleep. It looks like a like one of those large um, meat coolers converted into a, <laughs> a casita. <laughs> yeah, I also uh, I also use it for for drying out the, for curing the bodies there <laughs> <laughs> to make my my fabled prostitute jerky. <laughs> um, where are you coming from? Where are you headed to? How are you? What you been up to? Well, I I started in the northwest up in um Bellingham and worked my way down to San Diego and now I'm heading towards Florida all the way to Florida Pensacola via to be at like five shows in Texas so you're so. R- really going from the uh northwesternmost corner of the US down to 
the southeasternmost corner. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. The uh, how was Bellingham? Bellingham was really nice. It was um, that was a really good start to the trip, actually. Surprisingly good. I played at uh, Honeymoon Mead. I don't drink anymore, but it was a, it's a beer like a, a fancy beer place. <clears throat> but they had um, kombucha, which was good. You can adjust that mic up too if yeah. it's more comfortable mm-hmm. for you. There you go. The um, I think I can't remember if it was the last time I played in Bellingham or the first time I played in Bellingham. I think I was like twenty five, and the um, I got shit faced by myself at the bar, and the other band played. I, I made friends with the other band, and they played uh, New York City by Steve Earle and dedicated it to me, <laughs> and. Uh, and then this woman really wanted me to come and stay at her house, um, and I did. And so I drove drunk back to her house, and then I like slept on her floor with a couple people from another band. And I think she gave me a hand job while her husband was asleep in the other room. Whoa! Yeah, the not the real sort of. Um, cocaine and limousine glamour that perhaps we imagined when we were kids like the i'm gonna be like ace freely <laughs> but well, my last i remember going to bellingham and we turned up at the place and it was packed and we're like holy crap all these people have showed up to my show but it was the early show it was the children's pancake oh. breakfast show and then <laughs> then i was gonna load my stuff in and the guy was like nope you can't bring anything in right now it's the it's the early show you know and I'm like okay all right so we waited and as we waited um the show ended for the pancake early show and everybody left and then our show happened and there was um two people <laughs> yeah. that, that actually came but they were just friends of the bartenders and they were drunk and they were heckling us heckling me <laughs> I I think I I think I had that happen in Des Moines when I was out with a friend's band where it was like some Slipknot type band was playing at like 7 p.m. and it was packed and it was so packed and people were so like active and so into it that the their breath had fogged up the windows and then as soon as the early show ended and we you know we were, we couldn't load in so we were just sort of waiting there on the sidewalk with our stuff and then as soon as that show ended everyone packed up and left and we went into the club mm. and it it was like going into a closet after somebody's just fucked in it or something like you could smell that like something something human had happened in there but it was it was like a, a moist ghost town i was at, i was actually there on september 11th in um, Des Moines or Bellingham? No, in Bellingham. I'm thinking, and it's all coming back to me because, yeah, I was um, we were supposed to play. The, I was in Seattle, and then the show got canceled September 11th, and the next show was Bellingham, and I went up there, and then but th- that was still happening, the na- the following day, and I just remember all these ladies were on the street selling, like giving away bologna sandwiches for some reason. I was like, why are they? Why? Why? I guess today is the day to give out free bologna sandwiches because it's September twelfth, and everybody's like in shock. It was wild. Wow. But um, that's a very American thing, you know the bologna, the international meat of commemoration. But then I realized, like, I've been on doing this like 
style of touring since then, like since before then. I'm like, that's a long ass time ago. So like when 20, over 20 years ago, and I'm like, but it, going back to Bellingham this time, uh, it dawned on me. I'm like, holy crap! It it seems exactly like the same place as it was. Yeah. Um, Twenty some years ago, it doesn't seem it's like a snap of a finger that that time went by, and still I haven't progressed. <laughs> like I just continually um, churning around, spinning around. You know, you you don't. You don't see that you've progressed, but it's like when you're a little kid and, and you're like, you know, mom, measure me again. I think I grew overnight. <laughs> and then you look and you're like, God damn it, I didn't grow. And then, but then if you, if you, my belly grew, if you go and look and back at the, the door frame from when you were a kid, you're like, oh, I was this tall when I was in seventh grade or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. The, so when did you start touring full time the way that you tour now? 1998, I, I think it was the time. But I wanted to start sooner. I tried to in 90, 92, but my, you know, part of a band, it's harder because everybody, you got to organize everybody. And But, like, I really started doing solo stuff 98, like when my first record came. So um, then I was free to travel alone if I needed to or wanted to. And what, what was your first record? The Pity Party. Okay, I don't think I have that one. I feel like I... I w- what's the... Um, shooting at the Sun with a Water Gun? That was the third record. That was the first one that I got. No, the first one was Pity Party, then was um, Spider West Michigan in a City Bus, and then Shooting at the Sun with a Water Gun. was was like the first released and promoted record on, uh-huh. on a record label, that like a small independent label. Future Farmer was the the label, I guess. I still remember the name of the label because I, I that was, you know, there were so, so many times where I was like listening to other bands and other musicians, and I was like, well, they would never like what I do. And then I remember hearing you, and um, and I was like, well, maybe if they like this guy, then maybe I can get on Future Farmer and be a big songwriter too. <laughs> but it's not, there's no such thing as a big songwriter on Future Farmer. I know. It's like, well, maybe some of them went on to be big, but the, most of us didn't. So, Jesus, yeah. from 98 t- till now, that's like almost 25 years. Yeah. Um, it seems like two years. Yeah. Like two years ago. So, during that time, you've mostly just been... Mostly on the road, and then from time to time, staying here for a month or there for a month, that kind of thing, like bouncing around? Pretty much. You know, um, for a good part of that time, I was in San Francisco, but I would go out touring for a few months, then I'd come back, and I was a fill-in bartender, so I'd get shifts right away, and so I'd stay for a month or so, and I stayed in a garage, and the mission, my friends let me park my truck in the garage and I would sleep in the back of the truck mm-hmm. and or I rented a room for a while in the same place um I kind of would yeah I moved around then in between then I'd go I went down to Austin back and forth between Austin and San Francisco would rent a room for a couple months then I went to New York City for a while rent a room in in Brooklyn for you know six months work day labor you know gutting you know, hauling, you know, junk from uh, 
you know, tear down into dumpsters in New in Manhattan. I did a lot of that kind of work, like labor, hard labor work in between. Um, One of the jobs that I had when I was in New York was we would go into the apartments of people who had died and whoa. clear their stuff out. Ooh. And the one of the perks of the job was any open bottles of liquor I was allowed to keep. Nice. So I would be like, that's how I would it was. go out and be like, I'm drinking the dead man's liquor tonight. You know, like drinking that's, like a bo- you know plastic jug of vodka with the most free liquor. I, I I cleaned hotel rooms in Winter Park, Colorado, in the ski resort, uh-huh. and I got. I got like lots of free bottles of liquor and wine and stuff. Yeah. That was a perk, great perk of the job. After, yeah. Yeah. I I actually was cleaning the roof of that same hotel, like chopping ice off of that roof. And then I was like, fuck this. I want to move inside and get the cushy job at cleaning the hotel rooms. You know? It's funny when you're a kid, you know, to get the like leftover liquor like that, it's like, this is better than money. Yeah. (laughs) And now, like, I. The now there's like a lot of gigs where they're like, oh yeah, you drink for free all night, and I'm like, that's that's worse than nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have the cash equivalent to whatever the at yeah. this point in my life. Yeah, free drinks. Well, how about like what I would have drank, like <laughs> what fifty, a hundred dollars worth. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take the cash instead. I definitely yeah. I remember like revenge drinking. At, I, there was a place in San Francisco or Oakland, and I remember that they gave you, you know, they gave you free anchor steam all night. And I think it was a, like a transvestite bar in Oakland. The um, who knows if any of this is accurate? It all sort of like blurs together after a while. But I remember playing there and not having a great show. And then my plan was to sort of like take my revenge on the bar by just drinking as much as I could. And I, I don't re- remember much, so I guess I, I won. I don't know. The I used to think like if the if you actually had a good show or like had a crowd ready, like I remember in Gainesville once there was like a good crowd had come out to that um, covered dish, and they put a a bottle of vodka in my dressing room, and I was like, oh wow, this is it. I'm I need to drink this. Before I go on, <laughs> so it's like, like the the rare time that I actually had a crowd. I drank way too much before I went on. I could barely even finish a couple songs. It was anyway. That was a a terrible life lesson. Um, did, what not to do when you're first starting out? Yeah, you know. Did um, did you read Stephen King books when you were a kid? Mm, not really. No. The, um, I was a big Stephen King fan, and I remember reading. There was one science fiction story that he published, I think, as Richard Bachman, and it's about um, teleportation, and it's called the Jaunt, and it's, it's a history of how teleportation was discovered, and then it's also sort of a personal narrative of this family with kids, and there they go to the, well, I guess it's called the teleport. The and um, they're going to travel somewhere, but in in order to teleport, you have to be unconscious, otherwise you go insane. And one kid makes up his mind that he's going to like not breathe in when they give him the gas, so then he's going to go through, um, you know, without being unconscious. And it's it's Stephen King, so like the at the end of the trip, 
you know, the, everybody's, you know, sort of unconscious and then they teleport the thing. Then they get there and the kid is like, his eyes have gone white and his hair has gone totally white. And, uh, he's just sort of like cackling maniacally. And he's like, you know, it feels like just a split second, but it's longer than you think, dad, you know, the, um, you know, I, I've seen everything. I saw it all like, you know, miles and miles and he, uh, longer than you think, dad. And, um, that's how I always feel when I think about touring life on the road, living out of my van, of just the seeing so much, you know, like sort of more than your mind can parse. And, you know, to the point where it's sort of like it all blurs together. <clears throat> yeah. But it's still exciting. And that's addictive. Yeah, and that's that's um, I guess my my problem. Well, it's not necessarily a problem because I'm still um, I'm still blown away by what's around the corner. You know, yeah. like it's uh, it's still interesting to me. Like I'm genuinely excited to drive to Tucson today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've done that drive a lot of times, but I still, I for some reason I want to keep doing that. So weird. Uh, I don't understand why, but that's in, how I am, you know. In you know, in that um, Hank Williams song "Ramblin' Man," you know, he, he says, uh, "There's something over the hill that I just gotta see." You just yeah. There's always, and you can be at that place. I can go to North Platte and drive through that town twenty times. And I'm still gonna drive through there again and see what is there again that I missed. You know, we were talking once about driving. And you were saying how, like, you always take back roads I and do. Like, you try yeah. to take alternate routes and stuff like that. And I, I'm completely the opposite. I'm like, I don't care if we're going through a fucking barren wasteland, just whatever's going to get us there the fastest. I don't mind taking two hours more, even if it's like going 35 miles an hour through like a, a farm road. And, uh -huh. and it, you never know what you might find out there. And it's, that's, that's what I like to, I want to explore. And, and go down a road I'd never been down before, you know? Yeah. I want to see stuff. Yeah, I was trying to think, you know, after we had that conversation, I was trying to think which one of us is was crazier. And, you know, the... And I think that... Uh, I think that it's me. Because the... I mean, the reason that you go out there and do it... I, you know, I, I said once that, you know, touring as a musician is like being a writer except you're going to carry your typewriter from room to room for like 10 hours a day. And then one hour a day you sit down to write mm -hmm. and the, but, um, when I tour, it's, you know, it's like, you know, waking up in the worst hotel, exhausted, eating crap, continental breakfast, driving as, you know, trying to get there as quickly as we can waiting for sound check or for the, pancake the kids pancake show or whatever it is for all the people to leave and then you load in and sound check and then wait around and then you play and then it's like 2 a.m and you're like oh fuck and, and people are like oh you get to see so much but it's just the um it's the you see the one burrito place in town you see the the super eight or the red roof in you see the highway you see the you know the um you know the rest stops but maybe I've been doing it wrong, you know, and the way to yeah. do it is the way that you do it, where it I seems mean, like the, the shows and the driving are sort of 
um, not not necessarily the point of it, but that's the like price of admission that you have to pay in order to have all the other experiences of wandering around during the day. Well, I, I think of it lately as you got to feed yourself the experience to kind of give it back to the audience later. Mm-hmm. And if you have a negative, terrible day, it might go forth on on the audience, you know? And sometimes it does with me because... But if I fill my day with... Like the other day when I went to San Diego, I went to... I rented a Airbnb and I have an early show and um, I went and I walked and I rented a surfboard and I went surfing and, and I walked seven miles and then I got back, took a shower, go to the show and I felt good, you know, and it was a good show mm-hmm. and, I, and I think it just kind of reflected the day. So if I tried to get out early, explore, you know, walk, you know, get my blood flowing, that's the key. And, and you know, in, in the past I, I had done these gigs where it's like you're playing late at a bar you know the focus is drinking you get there sound check what do you do if i when i used to drink i would drink and that would be like a temporary fix of feeling good somewhat good again and then if the show didn't quite go good i would drink more like to kind of remedy my 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 head you know and then it would just kind of slowly spiral into this this (laughs) you know what i mean like over the weeks and I'd, I'd devolve into somebody I didn't want to be. But this way that I'm doing it now, without the drinking and the exploring, and try to feed myself good food mm-hmm. and the fuel in the tank, you know, put in the good fuel and try to run run your body good. That's how I'm trying to do it, and it seems to be working for the most part. Not to say, like, I, I still get down when people don't go or... You know, because I want people to go. Yeah. Because otherwise it, it brings me down. <laughs> I'm like, make you feel like what you're doing isn't worth anything if people don't want to go. And and sometimes they don't. So then you get, I get down. Personally, I do. And it's hard to like fight through that. But then you'll get a couple of good shows that'll save you and people will come and make you feel like you're worth something, you know? And that that's, that's what I, and you keep questing after that. Hopefully tonight we'll have a crowd. But yeah. Maybe not, but I'll yeah. be hanging out with you, which is thankful for that. You know, I the I haven't said a lot of smart things, but one of the one of the few smart things I said is that the biggest numerical difference in the world is not the difference between like one and a billion, but the difference between zero and one. Mm-hmm. Because if you have zero friends, you're totally alone. Yes, and if you have one friend you're not alone. <laughs> it makes like <laughs> such a huge difference, especially when you're on the road, especially when you're doing shows, especially when, you know, when you have a rough show, the, I have, you know, I have students sometimes where I meet people, you know, these sort of like pure artists and they're like, Oh, I don't care if any, if nobody ever sees my work and bullshit. I think I, they're I, lying. Yeah. I think they're, I think they're fucking full of shit. Yeah, you know, that it's uh, like, um, you want people to see your work. Of course. Yeah. You want people to like your song. You and, want people to accept you. Yeah. And if you don't if you're saying that you don't care about it, I think you're lying. Yeah, I totally you know? agree. I totally agree. But I but the I think we see it as you know, in a binary that either, you know, there's this sort of pure artist who's like laboring away in obscurity and they never show anything to anyone because the work is the reward. And then the other side is you know, somebody who only lives for validation and they're, they're just sort of like pandering to their audience constantly. Mm -hmm. And, and 
but between those two poles, there's an infinite number of gradations of, you know, the, um, I know people aren't going to love this song, but I, I'm compelled to write this song. I need to write this song for me. I'm trying to solve a problem in my life with this song and I'll write it and record it and it'll go on the album and I'll never play it live, Mm -hmm. you know, versus the, you land on a hook and you're like, Oh, the, the drunks at the bar are going to love this one. Yeah. You know, the, um, but I feel like that's the thing is trying to land on the right thing of, um, you know, there, there have been a few times in my life where I've had played a rough show and then gotten off stage and just been like, you know what? You fucking hit every mark. Your guitar sounded good. You played well. Your voice sounded good. You picked the right songs. They just didn't get it. And then I'm able to say to sort of like shake hands with the night and walk away and be like, I brought my a game and it wasn't, it just didn't fit or it didn't work and to like be at peace with it, you know? Yeah. And, and to be at peace with who you are or who, you know, who I am is I'm learning to, I realize, you know, it's, it's, it's something that is not for most people to like, most people don't like what I do. And there is a small group that do. So it's like, and I, I realize where I am now and I can accept where, you know, what I have to deliver and I like doing it, but you know, it's, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, we were talking about that last night of, you know, the, the well-intentioned promoters who are like, oh, yeah, no, it's St. Paddy's Day. The bar will be packed. And you're like, no. Let's, is- let's make sure you play in front of the most people ever after the big <laughs> soccer game. This is a nightmare like, scenario. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, we I don't a, want to play for the giant soccer crowd. We have a bachelorette party no. coming in. It'll be great. <laughs> like, they oh, do not want to hear this, these songs. Trust this me. A, this <laughs> is the fucking worst thing I can imagine. The, I mean, if you think about it, the stuff that people really do love, like people, the stuff that people are fanatical about is like, you know, coffee, which is not something that a child tastes and they're like, oh, this is amazing. You know, the, or like, um, like blue cheese or like stinky cheeses and stuff like that. People get, you know, fanatical about that. It's not, it's not an immediate sort of simple taste that you're like, oh, hell yeah. Um, the... So I do think that we are niche and that we're um, an acquired taste. But then, I, I mean, hopefully that means that then the people who get it, that it, it is more meaningful to them, you know. The, I don't know. Um, you want to play a song for us? Um, I'm going to throw my vocal mic here to capture your guitar. What's the name of this song? And tell me the story. Um, let me think. Oh, okay. Um, this is called Immersion Therapy. And it's, um, it's about um, social anxiety. And uh, I'm sure you have it. I, well, I have it pretty bad after quitting drinking. Like, and then going into bars and playing, I get extreme kind of like social anxiety. And, yep. and having to like battle through that. And like be social and nice to people and try to talk to people. And then if you can crack through it and then it's okay, you know, but you understand that thing that creeps on your back when you walk in a bar or get into a party situation and you're trying to be assimilate sober. (laughs) Anyway, this song is about a a friend of mine's brother who was a gamer and locked in his room for years, you know, and didn't really have any friends because he's got 
kind of gone full bore into the virtual world. And um, his parents were like, you got to get out and meet some kids. And, um, you know, he starts seeing a psychologist and is like, I'm involved in, immersion, in an immersion therapy, social anxiety immersion therapy group. And the idea was to meet the group at the bowling alley and, you know, introduce yourself to a stranger, break the ice. But I guess apparently nobody showed up to the group meeting at the bowling alley. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was pretty funny. So anyway, I wrote this song, Immersion Therapy. Nobody showed up to the social anxiety immersion therapy group meeting at the bowling alley. I stood there alone, checking my phone. I better go home, back to the virtual zone. It's safe there, because nobody showed up to the social anxiety immersion therapy group meeting you're supposed to meet me i'm a stupid man with my smartphone in hand i'm a stupid man with my smartphone companion but i'm off the hook i don't need to know any of them off the hook, I don't need to be forced to make friends Down at the bowling alley For the social anxiety immersion therapy Group meeting, you're supposed to meet me The man sprayed the shoes With a disinfectant some kid look confused Quite expectant Cause the air hockey table just wasn't blowing no air He put his quarters in But the manager didn't even care He said check the sign son It said no refund Down at the bowling alley for the social anxiety immersion therapy group meeting, you were supposed to meet me. I love that song. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. It's like me standing up with a garbage can, like looking at my phone. Oh man, nobody's here. I just, I, it, it <laughs> cuts came. to my very core because <laughs> the, <laughs> I, I remember in, I think it was like 2012, uh, my old band Fresh Kills toured, uh, the UK and it was our first tour overseas. So none of us were like prepared or anything. So I think that one person had a working phone, but it was like, it, you know, just for f emergency phone calls or whatever. So, and we were all, we all hated each other and had nothing to say to each other. We were all like anxious and missed home and stuff. And more than once I watched like my friends take their iPods out of their pockets and look at them to like check for a text message on their iPod or something <laughs> like <laughs> it was just, uh, just, you know, it, cause it's become such a, a reflex, such a nervous tick 
and just the mournful expression on people's faces. Easy escape from the immediate situation. Yeah, absolutely. And um, got my friend Zach, one of my oldest friends. It was uh, it was like his birthday while we were in the UK, and Zach loved cocaine, but it destroyed his voice, so mm-hmm. he didn't do coke the entire time we were in the uk and he barely spoke in between shows just to make sure he kept his voice and i remember talking to him like on the last night and and i was like zach like let's get you some cocaine tonight and he was (laughs) like yeah and he was like you want to know what i've been thinking about and i was like tell me and he was like when i get home when i turn on my phone like it was my it was my birthday here and i'm going to turn my phone on i'm going to get all the birthday text messages all at once it's going to be amazing they're all going to store up and then i'm going to turn my phone on i'm going to have like 500 text messages and i was like that's awesome and then when we got back he turned his phone on and his service had been shut off for not paying his bill for like the third time or whatever so like (laughs) none none of those birthday text messages came through (laughs) he just looked like pathologically crestfallen yeah (laughs) like the it's it's funny because i do think that we're better off now that people have a a greater understanding of anxiety and ptsd and add and sort of um uh, the the super common sort of low level mental illnesses that that afflict me and so many people i know and the, but also when I was a kid, the I didn't understand what panic attacks were or what anxiety was, and so I just, I mean, I remember like if a pretty girl walked past me on the street, I would just shake, like I would shake, and I would be unable to make eye contact with her, and the, um, and Man, I, and I, I was, had a I had a panic attack recently at the. I went to see Jeff Rosenstock band and it was so packed and I was in the crowd and I, I started having a panic and I had to get out, you know, like, like I couldn't breathe and I'm trying to fight through the crowd. Like I, I got to get to the air, you know? Yeah. And I stepped on some guy's foot and I told you about this yesterday. And then the kid, it was like a high school. He wants to fight me, you know, I'm like, Hey, I can't fight. I'm having a panic attack. I, I'm sorry to step on your foot. I was trying to get out of this place. Because it was too crowded. Like, yo, I'll fight you later. (laughs) Can I just please go and get get to the open air? (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. I felt like I was being smothered. It was a good show, but I was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the crowd was overwhelming. It was too much. I had my, um, when I went to see Idols, it was a, a similar thing of, like, the first time back at a packed show in years. And I just felt like... I felt like an alien, like it was like my first day back on you know, my first day on earth or something. And the, to, to be, I remember, you know, during the, the, the sort of like long solitary winter of COVID, I remember there's that hold steady line of like, um, I love the people at the really, or I love the crowds at the really big shows, people touching people that they don't even know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I would, I was, would think wistfully of being at like those like punk rock shows where it's just everybody's touching each other, sweating on each other, spilling drinks, and then to go back to, to idols and 
have that experience again, having gone through COVID, it felt like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I definitely developed more anxiety from the COVID, just yeah. proximity to people, which I'm trying to have. Has that happened to you? The the level of the anxiety has gone up like dramatically. Yeah. You know, I'm starting to cure myself of that being, I'm getting into the crowds more, you know, that. Yeah. That. I think, um, Last night before we played the show and we just went for a walk before like the um, the sound check, it made me realize that I never fucking do that. Like That's, just go out after the sun goes down and walk around. I mean, in part because it's been so fucking hot for the last four months, mm-hmm. but also just from from COVID sort of like shutting us all in and then. And then after a certain point, like it's no longer the COVID shutting you in. It's like being shut in that's shutting you in. And then that's just become my, you know, when I sit down to eat, I turn on the TV and then the TV stays on until I fucking go to sleep. I just watched, Dave, I watched the worst garbage ever. The, like the 10th iteration of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was just like supernatural teenagers. The, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's indefensible. That's what it is. Empire. I've never seen that show, honestly. The, maybe it, maybe this is what I need to go towards. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I think you're doing much better. It's much healthier to be like roving the country, like seeing the world's largest ball of twine, yeah. than uh, than to go down that well with uh, oh, with crap TV. But I think I think in the month of October, I am. I'm going to be in Ohio for the beginning of that. I'm going hunting, which is, that's a weird thing. Um, but I think for the month of October, I think I'm going to set myself like not a social media challenge, but just a social challenge of like trying to go out to dinner by myself, like two nights a week, go to a show one night a week and really just that immersion therapy. Try to introduce yourself to a stranger. Oh God! When you said that, it just sent like a like a shockwave of terror into my heart. The but I find I've tried it a few times, and people look looked at me like I was a total creep, wingnut. Like, <laughs> oh what are you talking to me for? Why are you introducing? You know, like, the, hey, I'm Dave. What's your name? And they're like, I, look at me like I'm some kind of, you know. The we, like weirdo, <laughs> like you okay, and I are I'm both sorry at, for at, introducing myself. At, to you and I are both at an age where <laughs> the yeah. creepiest thing Especially you can say to somebody alley. is like, <laughs> "Hi, would you like to be my friend?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like the, it's just the worst. Uh, yeah, I got to try and make more friends in Phoenix. Um, it's not easy when you get to be older, you know. I'm yeah, 50, I, I'm fifty three and. Yeah, it's definitely past that. You know, people are kind of establishing their groups. So you're like the, I'm like the older man, odd man out, you know? And then you, so it's, it's it's definitely more challenging trying to meet people. Well, so. you and I, I mean, I think we've chosen tracks for our lives that are, um, you know, that are different than the normal sort of like get a job, get married. 2.5 kids live in the same place, buy a house, you know, that kind of stuff. And the, I didn't realize that, um, I thought it was just sort of that, like, oh, we, we chose a different thing or we did a different thing. But I think for some of those people that 
were perceived as like a threat to the status quo. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one that, of these days you're going to come to your senses and exactly, you know, grow yeah. up and be a real adult. Yeah, <laughs> because I, I think the most and, threatening thing for them is to conceptualize that we found some level of happiness, um, not having kids, not having conventional relationships, not investing in um, the sort of capitalistic thing of if I buy this, then I will be happy. Yeah, like what about the opposite approach of having less stuff to have more freedom or, um, yeah, you know, looking at the world as your, the whole entire world as your home, free to roam, you know, participate in rather than consumption. What about sustained, maintained, you know, whatever happened? Like, what, what about that idea? Sustain and maintain. See, my problem <laughs> is, is that I swing? have to be more and more and more personal gain. You know, the I problem, think about this a lot. Like, the problem is that I swing too far to the extremes. It's got to be like all the way this way or all the way that way. Like, I remember um, when I was, whatever, 27, living out of my van, and I was listening to the radio station in Boulder, Colorado, and they played one of your songs, The uh, Stars Are My Chandelier. Oh, yeah. And... I remember, and it came on, it was a beautiful song, and I love your voice, and I love your work, this is before we knew each other, and I just think, I remember thinking like, fuck you, Dave Dondero, because I had like, invested in exactly what you were singing about, and it was making me fucking miserable, and I think it's because I went too far in that extreme of like, one pair of jeans, you know? And the, it was sort of like, it was sort of like I was homeless, but I was homeless inside a car. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I am homeless. I mean, according to the, the parameters of capitalist society, I'm homeless. I don't have a rental apartment and a lease agreement. You know, I don't, you know. Have an, I don't have a place right now. But what what you, you were know, just, I travel from place to place, or I you know rent a room for a month, or yeah, you know, do but, some work. But what you were change. just talking about the like I can see the difference, you know, of um, some people call that a bum or a low life, yeah. you know. The but what you were talking about of like waking up, going for a long walk, going surfing, the eating good food. Um, like I can see the difference in your face, you know, this time around from like other times I've seen you. Like it looks like you got younger you know and the i think I, it's part two that i was like literally eating out of the trash sometimes I w- there i was and- dumpster diving for food and early on we would you know when i toured i'd dumpster dive all the time for bagels and behind health food stores and grocery yeah. stores and get you know that was like common practice you know i would do it and then again, they start locking the dumpsters you know yeah they don't want people taking their food that they're throwing away yeah. That's what's fucked up. That's really fucked up. Yeah. That they started locking dumpsters because they don't want you to take what they're throwing away. Yeah. Where, um, so you're working your way out over to Pensacola? I am. Yeah. And you're there for a month. For a month. Then I'm going to, I'm, I got to arrange this trip up, up to New York and back is my plan. Um, 
a couple months out usually. Yeah. But I, you know, we'll see what happens. I keep, um, I keep edging the idea of going back out on the road. Like I was talking to Mike Weeby from Riverboat Gamblers, and I love him, and I would love to like go out on the road with him. I'd love to go out on the road with you. I'd love to go out with Sam Talent. The, I don't know, it's just the, my life here is so easy. My dog and my cat and my bed and my TV. It's like a little uh, oasis in the desert. Yeah. A little slice of paradise. Yeah. It's hard to, uh, you know, I mean, people talk about fear of missing out. You know, I think my fear of like the thing I would be afraid I'd miss out on is like my animals doing something cute or like, Mm -hmm. I bet my bed's really comfortable right now. Yeah, I mean, I I can see that. I can see where you you would get like, oh, I want to stay here. This is, this is, this is better than being on the road. Yeah, and it probably is a lot of times. I, it's just a trade off, you know. I you mean, got you got another uh, song in the pipeline there. Um, sure. Um, Maybe I should do the stars of my chandelier. Oh yeah, dude! If you know it, the yeah, you should absolutely do that. Um, you mentioned that. Do you need a pick or a slide or? A... I need a capo. Um, more than he could ever even hope for Love her twice as much as all the love there is and more I could say my love is bigger than the Big Apple Like a oxy fan of beauty's own in Scrabble Just like the stars of my chandelier Just like these landscapes on my living room Just like these highways are veins I am the blood, I am the rain Saw the stars align in 27 straight rows Saw the trees becoming lovers in the shadow I heard the crickets overpowered every radio And heard the sound of the silence Kill my ego Kill your ego Kill all ego Go, go, go and then the stars were our chandeliers And all these landscapes were our living rooms And all these highways were veins As we wore the blood, we wore the rain But you, your heaven to hold Never get old, heaven to hold Honey, your heaven to hold
Can't believe you just had that one ready to go. I do that one. I try to do that almost every night. I like to. I like to play that one. The um, I always, you know, I, when I'm touring or when I'm doing a bunch of shows, I get you know sort of X number of songs ready, and then it always happens that um, somebody has a request of like, oh, you know, we do this song. You know the 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 secret bonus track that was on your first record that you put out in two thousand, and I'm like, oh man, I don't know that song. And then they're like, oh, that was the last song that my mother listened to before she died. <laughs> I'm like, oh fuck, now I have to try to play it, and it's you know it's just sort of like gone from me completely. The I I am getting more motivated to to get back into playing music though. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll sit down one day and sort of like just go back through everything and relearn all the old songs. The is it different for you writing songs now than it was when you were younger, or do you, like? No, no, I mean, it's weird. I don't, I don't know how it happened. You know, it just kind of comes about, and I, it, it, it's not too intentional. It, it just kind of happens. I always say, like, this is it, man. No more. This is the last record I'll ever write. And then all of a sudden, there's a bunch of more songs. I'm like, how did that happen? And it's like a drive. You get some lines. You put some songs together. It's it's not too difficult. For, as far as I'm, what I do is very simple. And it's just like kind of happens. It's kind of form, you know, kind of like maybe a less elaborate way of writing a novel like you write, you know? It's very, <laughs> like... That's my dream is to write a novel, though. I, I was going to ask if you had the um, the same thing that I do of like every time you finish a song, you're like, there's a good feeling of completion of like there. I finished that song. That song is done. And then immediately on the heels of it, there's that the like, that's the last song I will ever write. I have no more in me. I'm completely tapped out. Yeah. And it sounds like you the have a little bit of that too sometimes yeah but then you have that false feeling so many times eventually you're like all right i guess there will be more you know yeah what about this this song or what about you know like that's the one thing is you can you don't have to be all like i've been so depressing but the the newer songs are a little bit more uplifting and fun to play like the state songs you know like the old minnesota and then what do I know about the Garden State? Those are fun to play, and they're not like all down and out. So I'm like, kind of moving in that direction. You can go anywhere you want. Um, that's what I'm excited about. So I think there's going to be more. <laughs> you know, I um, I was going to make a joke last night about the, you know, there's this James Brown line. You know, James Brown single and loves to mingle, huzzah! And I was gonna, <laughs> you know, the I was gonna pirate that last night before my brain was all scrambled on fucking tramadol um and then i was like listening back to i was listening to the songs that i was singing i was hearing my words coming out of my mouth and i was like yeah no wonder you're single you fucking jerk you creep (laughs) (laughs) like listening to some of the words and just sort of like um i don't experiencing those songs again for the first time i guess like you know um 
I remember going back and relearning some of my old drinking tunes and sort of like practicing them and then zoning out as I was practicing them and thinking, oh man, I hope this guy is okay. You know, the sort of like forgetting it was my own song and forgetting that I had been that guy and that guy did end up being, well, both not okay and okay eventually. Um, the, is it, what, I mean, what does it feel like to go back and revisit songs that you've written 20 years ago? Well, some of, there's a few of the songs that I, I can revisit them and, and it's like, um, I can feel the song because I, I think it, I've, I've written a couple good, you know, maybe out of a hundred songs, I'd say maybe I've written two good songs. You've written more which, than two, Dave. Which Come the on. motion picture song, I can return to that song and I can feel it, you know, like I, I really, I feel that what that song is about. I like that song and it can change every time. And like, like the stars of my chandelier, that's another one that I like to return to, an old one. And, but some of them I, I can't, I can't do because I've written jealous songs. I've, you know, taken, I've written songs. I regret what I had said in the song, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've written mean, some, some mean spirited songs sometimes. And I regret those kind of songs, but that was kind of like a reactionary, you know, youthful expression but it was it was truthful at the time. But it's something I don't want to revisit. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Like there's a song like Number Zero with a Bullet, which was like just like I named an album after it because I was bitter at the music industry and you know I felt like I deserved something that I didn't deserve. You know, I was you know jealous of my peers' success, which was unfounded. You know, it's like. I, I can only blame myself for anything anything that comes out of my mouth in my situation that like that band there's this new band called Good Looks they have this song about if the answer's in in you something about if these if the if these and if the answer's in yourself the problem is your fault you know <laughs> or something huh. like that and I thought that was pretty profound I don't know if that's the exact line, but you should check that band out. Good, yeah, yeah. Good Looks from Austin. Yeah. They have a record, and it's, for some reason, I've become obsessed with this album, and it's it's aces from start to finish, and it's been helpful to me. But, um, yeah, and it, it, it's like some songs I like to return to, but um, some of them I'm not going back. Like, like that song, Double Murder, Ballad, Suicide. I wrote that, you know, out of the traditional sense of you know murder ballads and suicide songs and it was a fictional episode in san francisco and it was like where i kill my, jump off the bridge at the end i do as the the main character and and then this this friend of mine's kid heard the song and then two weeks later he killed himself and i thought that the song was to blame oh, you no. know and i was like he hugged me in at this show and said i really love that double murder ballad suicide and so since then, I just like, I mean, he he had threatened before and had several episodes before, but I blamed myself for a long time for that. But I could, I can't. I mean, one one I can't would keep argue, doing that. That kid was going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the reason that he probably liked that song is because he was already thinking about it and he was already obsessed with that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you didn't put the idea in his head. He'd already 
I I kind of I've talked about it with his father and right well my friend and they said he had already been so I, I can't I can't be like I'm the re- that's the song is the reason he did it for initially I thought that for a little while but it's not the case but still it's like a song like that I don't feel proud about and I don't want to do it again yeah you know um. The last song that I played last night is called Digging a Grave and it's about burying bodies. Yeah. And the and it's um it's a murder ballad and there's sort of like um you know I still love old like Tin Pan Alley songs so there's of course there's a, a reversal mm-hmm. in the third chorus um where, where you're the you're the one jumping in the last grave. Yeah, the where the, the grave digger. people think that it's you know the male protagonist that he's singing about murdering a woman, but he's murdering the man who who murdered a woman, and then he's killing himself at the end. So mm-hmm. it's you know the, um, and I was you know, and I think while I while I wrote it, I was like thinking that I was, I mean, I was I was in pain, and I and with the turnaround at the end, I thought that I was being clever enough that. I was like, ha you thought this, and then it's actually this. But, but in reality, like as a, as an, you know, a thinking intellectual person, I'm like, how about just not, not putting the idea of men murdering women in people's brains, even if you're going to be faking them out, you know, but, but at the end of the day, I would have to defend that song because I don't want to hear songs that are too um too curated, too thought out, mm-hmm. too manicured, too scripted. I I do want to hear those songs that are just howls of pain, you know, or that are, are Yeah, and that, an that jealousy or whatever, a jealous song was that was truthful at the time. That's how I felt or you felt or whatever or yeah. anger songs, you know, but that not necessarily what I want to go back to and yeah, and yeah. relive that jealousy or that, you know, kind of pettiness yeah. that, I, that I put into a song at times. But, you know? but pettiness is an authentic emotion. Yeah. We feel that shit all the time. You know, the, um, I told my friend Christine Levine about this, you know, we were in Austin once at a comedy festival and, uh, Christine is morbidly obese, and she has uh, rheumatic, um, or what is it? She has rheumatism, arthritis. I don't. She, she has bone rot, is what she calls it. And I was watching her up there, you know, talking about problems with her weight and talking about her rheumatoid arthritis, and just killing. And people love her, and they were just laughing and clapping, and I. And I was watching her, and for a split second, I had a a thought where I was like, well, maybe if I was really sick and fat, people would love me too. (laughs) So, like, this is horrible and indefensible, you know? But I think that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, wanting to be an artist and craving the stage and craving the spotlight is it's like a mental illness, you know, like the, Oh, look at me, look at me, look at me, listen to my feelings, you know, the, um, but it's also, um, uh, I, I, I try to understand why I would do something like this for so many years 
and it, I think it is a form of insanity to continue to, you know, I love touring, but like to continue to go around when you don't really have an much of an audience, and you know, and it it is a you know, it is a form of insanity, but it's like playing to a wall, you know, like singing in an empty room by yourself, but it's something you have to do. I have to do for some reason, and it's part of a grieving process or a purging process of the sadness of this life, you know, and to try to f feel alive about things that have happened um, is a driving force that the, the grief, do you, do you understand that? Like, uh, yeah. like losing people, everybody's losing people all the time. It's overwhelming. And that's, that's been a force. Like losing people I love, like losing Laura this year, yeah, and uh, and I lost Lisa Dawn when I was young, my first love, you know, and then Crystal Hope Lily, and these women that I've loved have passed, and I'm like, maybe this is the reason this push you down the road, away from marriage, because they keep dying, you know, kids in marriage because the women I love keep dying, mm -hmm. so it's like maybe it's better for me to just be in songs you know like that's the family that the family of musicians and artists keep keep pushing us around to to join join up with each other as that family instead of making a family you know it feels a little bit like a uh a zen cone too like you know instead of this the sound of one hand clapping you know the um, or you stare into the abyss until the abyss looks back. You play till the to the empty room until finally the room itself applauds. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like I think about Laura DeAngelis. She was she was an amazing artist, my friend, my best friend, and I was, she was my lover. And I lived with her in in Virginia, and I worked with her, and she was incredibly talented pianist sculptor and fine carpenter and and she she resigned herself from the arts because she hit a high level in sculpture and ceramic and like people all over the world know her sculptures you know and then she she just couldn't play the that game of mm -hmm. diplomacy and and you know that's part of it i guess to be successful that's a hard world and she was like, I don't want to play that game. I just want to make sculptures. I don't want to go shake hands and schmooze at a at a cocktail party to try to get my stuff in some gallery. Yeah. And she, her stuff was better than any of that other stuff. But I think it finally, like her dream of being an artist, like she was an artist, but she couldn't make any money doing it. And so I think it eventually killed her. She took her life, you know, and it's because she wanted that. So that's the... That's the catch-22 of it all, I guess. You're stuck in, under that umbrella of capitalism. You've got to make some kind of money to get by. She didn't want to be a, impoverished anymore, so she just started doing these hard-ass carpentry jobs And for a girl that weighs 98 pounds, you know, carrying table saws and, you know, big heavy tools. And I was like, holy shit, how does she carry that thing? She's, like, strong, too, extremely strong for a 98-pound woman. Like carrying table saws and chop saws, and you know, I don't know. I'll go on. It's I've been the music has been my savior through this situation with her. You know, like, 
Well, Especially like the the first part of it, the mental illness and going. She went into the mental hospital, and it's like I've never lost anybody like that, where mm-hmm. that person is no longer the person you used to know, and they're totally into a different mindset, mind frame. You know, it's like a different mm-hmm. person. It's like holy shit. And then they, it's all like lost in the wrinkles of your brain, you know? It's like a chemical situation going on in there. And it's remedied over time, but it needs this long therapy situation with people that are talking and coercing her out from the wrinkles in the brain, you know, the, whatever she's hiding from, hiding, hiding inside back there, inside the brain, that whole... And she was coming out. Sorry to go on and on about it. I just... Dude, that's exactly what the podcast is I just, for. Um, <laughs> I just can't believe it. But she came out. She came out. But she was drained, like wrung out like a washcloth. She was she was, she was, was like, I can't. I don't know if I can recover this time. And I'm like, you could do it. Because she was there. She was back to reality. You know, the uh-huh. old self had come back into her body. And she was like, she just got so, the stigma was so huge on her. That she she was so embarrassed by her behavior, like what when she had her her mental breakdown, she was embarrassed, and she shouldn't have been embarrassed, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, like we see these people on the street that are ranting and raving, they're stuck in their heads. I mean, we need to get some people out there to talk to those people, you know. And we just drive by them, and ah, they're 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 fucked up. Let it, you know, it's just something's got to be done. I just see, sorry, I'm just going off. I just see what's happening. It's, it's really, 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 really sad in America. They're throwing all the people away, you know. That was one of the things that was really helpful for me about my friendship with Lanigan is that, you know, he was homeless for a long time and he was one of those people and he screaming. could come back into the reality, right? Yeah, he was he one of those people screaming and yelling and, you know, the, um, and, you know, he was an incredibly gentle soul and he was, he was like my great friend, you know, and so now whenever I see somebody out there, I just think about him, you know, that maybe it's a, a, someone like him sort of trapped inside there, you know, that you take shelter in your own brain and then eventually it becomes your prison and then you can't get out, you know, it's like you've, you've you've stayed in there where it's safe for too long mm. um yeah will you um will you play that song for laura laying at your feet yeah or or do you want to hear the naked pericardium the um, that one i wrote a couple up yeah i mean i guess you have several to choose from well i, I the, wrote the song for her while she was alive laying at your feet mm-hmm. um and uh I did the Naked Pericardium after she died. That's that's the name of one of her sculptures. It's what it is. I'll do that one. Um, Naked is mother of pearl, and she made this statue of a wolverine, a life size wolverine, stepping on an egg with a bird coming out of it. And uh, it's like the the heart is exposed, and the pericardium is the sack which holds the heart in place. So her idea was to have the mother of pearl being the the pericardium, which which held this exposed heart of the Wolverine, which I thought was a beautiful sculpture, and I'll I'll tell you, the story is um, I met her in 2017, you know, it, I didn't meet her then. I met her long before that in San Diego, but I I met up with her. She was teaching a, a 
a ceramics workshop at Santa Fe Clay in New Mexico. And I went out there, and she brought that with her from, from Virginia for the class to see. And it's beautiful. And people came from all over to, to take her course. <clears throat> and um, she just left that sculpture there. And I tour so much, and I, I kept saying, she's like, oh, it's too expensive to mail back. It's like a couple hundred bucks. You know, it's like a big crate, you know. And so she left it, and then COVID happened. And I was like, well, I can pick it up on my tour and put it in the back seat. It would fit in the back seat of my car. Um, but she never wanted to do that. But then when she died, I was like, I'm going to go. I, I felt like I was in this fog of grief, you know, like I was in Portland. And I was like, I got to get out. I got to go get that sculpture and bring it back. You know, so I went down to Santa Fe and I tracked down the sculpture and I took it to Kansas City where she, she went to school at the Kansas City Art um, Institute, I think it's called, whatever the big art school there is in Kansas City. And that's where she made it and I brought it. But this is for her. It's Naker, sorry, long-winded, I know. But it's called Naker Pericardium, the Wolverine. It's for Laura DeAngelis. Got so sick from grieving Cry my eyes out on the road Now I'm driving blind Out to nowhere else to go Went to Santa Fe I picked up your Wolverine still alive in the sculpture I see your life I see your dream a couple thousand miles shed my tears out on the road went to Kansas City and I brought your sculpture Home. The wooden crate's like a casket And your sculpture's safe inside I'm the pallbearer Making that final ride Secure the space in the middle Of coming and going before you left Naker's mother of pearl Pericardium holds the heart in the chest Another thousand miles Shed my tears out on the road Went to Kansas City And I brought your sculpture home Now I look at the pictures All the smiling memories A 
cry in the car Feel the weight of the tragedy How could you do How could you do that to you How could you do that How could you do that to you Couple thousand miles Shed my tears out on the road Went to Kansas City And I brought your sculpture home Went to Kansas City And I brought my baby home Oh, Dave. So brutal. It was wild. I had that, I had that sculpture in that crate in the back seat, and I, I carried it into the hotel room. I was in Hayes, Kansas, because I'd come from Santa Fe, and I was on route to, to Kansas City, and I brought it up into the hotel, and then I like opened up the crate, and I pulled it out of there, and I had it on the, on like the cabinet in the hotel room and I was just like looking at that and it, it was like she was it was it was really kind of bizarre <laughs> you know it was like she's here yeah. right now and I was I'm like talking to this sculpture and it's like it in my mind it's answering back to me in her voice <laughs> it was really totally bizarre in this strange grieving process I've been in but I know like it's just your mind playing tricks but I was it's just what I was doing has anything like that ever happened to you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dave, I lost my mind completely this last couple of years. And one of the things I've learned is like that when when grief comes for you, you have to answer it in its language, not in your language, you know. And that we find ourselves doing shit we would have never imagined that you know we would have done. Um, and and I think you you know. When you're grieving, you're faced with the option of like, um, oh, I'm going to make a list and then I'm going to meet, you know, so-and-so for coffee and trying to postpone it and trying to maintain those barricades and go about your regular life. And, and then you can carry that grief with you for fucking ever. Or you, you lay on the floor naked and scream and howl and process grief on grief's terms until it's through with you and then you can maybe move on a little bit the difference this time is i done it i did it soberly like i embraced it soberly yeah and, I'm, and it's 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 still there but it's dissipated like mostly you know and I, I feel fine now yeah but it was like embracing it soberly like jumping headfirst into the griefing process the fog of the grief it was like, I think it was a good thing to do, like really drive and go forward into it rather than like years ago when I told you my friend Lisa Dawn passed, I just dove into the bottle for 20 years and, yep. I, and that became my, my retreat for 20 years, the bottle and drugs and whatnot. And that I, was always my go-to and that was for any, any kind of problem, I just sideline it and just jump to the bottle. And now I, I don't jump to it anymore and... Which is it? 
Alcohol will good. age human beings incredibly quickly, but it's an incredible preservative for grief. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you could just, uh, it just postpones all that shit. It's like hitting pause on it. The, but I, you know, when Lanigan died, I was a fucking wreck. And I remember, um, the, I remember crying in my sleep and like the, um, like waking up in the middle of the night to cry about it and shit like that. And, and I, I just was like, um, I was like, I'm losing my mind or am I like overdoing it? Am I the, am I grieving an inappropriate amount or in an inappropriate way? And the, I was just doing it the way I had to do it. And now I feel mostly okay with it. Like I'm still, I, I still miss him and the, um, I feel sad about my friend and it, you know, and it like pisses me off, but I don't, but it's not, it doesn't feel like a physical illness anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. Like, and I just, you know, I just had to, I mean, sometimes though, like, Sometimes the only cure for pain is suffering. You know, you just have to like, you just have to hurt for a while. Work, yeah. Embrace it. Yeah, yeah. Just, just feel it. Yeah, just lean into it. You know, and it's, I think the best way to do it. So it's, it's in its place. It's found its place. It hurts still, but it's, but it has switched over to a little more anger. Like, like, why did you fucking do that, Laura? Come on. Yeah. You know, I'm a little pissed off about it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the hardest things with, you know, with suicide is it's, I think it's sort of like a normal death times 10 because, you know, it's the, um, I don't know. We're just sort of like confronting nihilism head on, you know, um, someone who believed in nothing so strongly that they chose to inflict it upon themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, well, one thing that's come out of it all is it's reaffirmed my desire to live. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so it's just like like we were talking earlier, like try to enjoy the day, like be it walking or going surfing or go get a something like a really good cup of coffee. Fuck it if it's a little more money. You know, I'll go get it. I'm going to yeah. get the cup of coffee and I I was I'm excited about today. We're going to go have a show, even if nobody goes, you know. We'll be I'll there. Be, we'll be there. <laughs> I think my friend Malcolm might be there. Um, I'm excited to go back to Tucson. I'm going to see if that, uh, there's some bar that used to sell bowls of cereal. I'm going to see if that's still open and go get a bowl of cereal at that bar, but I don't think it's still open. But if it's not, I don't know. I'm, I'm just excited what kind of food we're going to eat tonight. Somewhere. I I like Tucson. Um, Tucson's like a weird old dusty old cowboy town. It's the I always find good guitars there. Maybe we'll and, maybe we'll run into Tommy Larkin, the famous drummer. He's <laughs> from Tucson, right? <laughs> yeah. The I feel like Tucson is. Um, I, I feel like Tucson is to L.A. what Long Island is to Manhattan. Where um, the same way a lot of Manhattan dreams go out to Long Island to die, mm-hmm. a lot of L- L.A. dreams go out to Tucson to die, and that's one of the reasons why you find a, a bunch of like killer old guitars and amps and stuff out you there. You do. You find great. It's great thrift store shopping too. Like yeah, yeah. Some of the best, like used shoes. I've always found my best used shoes in Tucson, and uh, it's 
So I'm gonna go. We gotta go look for some shoes. Maybe we'll we'll go get a a brand new pair of used shoes or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, in the Congress Hotel, I always like to go in the Congress yeah, Hotel yeah. and get some popcorn from the the bar. Get a so- club soda with lime and a and a basket of popcorn and sit in the lobby where with the tables that are covered in pennies. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And it's yeah, nice and yeah. Cool inside there. Yeah, I haven't been down in Tucson for a while. This should be good. The um, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. We got enough on tape here. The um, where can people find you um on social media and the web and all that stuff? Well, um, Patreon is probably the best if you want to subscribe. I put out songs every month and some writings and I had no videos. idea you even had a Patreon. Um, What's the Patreon address? It's Dave Dash Dondero. But um So Patreon.com slash Dave Dash Dondero. I'm pretty sure sh- I have my little thing. But it's Dave it's Dave Dondero. I, or David, Dun- can I? Can we re-record this and I'll give the, you the exact? Um, I I will put details. it. In the sh- I'll put it in the show notes and I'll put it on in the header up top, so you yeah. don't have to go in and re-say it. But I will. Yeah, that's the yeah. That's the best way to support me because that's been like subscribers have saved my ass. Like with it provides like a monthly income. Yeah, for me, and it's not a whole lot, but it's it's enough to keep me clicking, and it's I'm thankful for that. I don't know, you're doing one. I I'm a subscriber of yours. Oh shit, you subscribe yeah. to mine, and I don't subscribe to yours. That is a but, that is um, an artist faux pas. Yeah, the yes. If you're listening at home, I have a Patreon as well, and you should sign up for both of ours. <laughs> <laughs> keep yeah. us going to Tucson. <laughs> yeah. The um, Dave, thanks so much for doing this. I. Thanks for having me, man. I, I, I love you so much. You, I love you, you too. I, the, I've been such a huge fan of your music for fucking ever, and it's so gratifying to have you as a friend too. You um, know? Likewise, you're like a brother to me, and I'm thankful to know you. Thanks, man. You know, folks. Thank you so much for listening. I know there's uh, some million podcasts out there. We appreciate you uh, you spending your time with us. The um, if you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if you if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you, piss you off, um, please take a minute to uh, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it. Um, if you'd like to hear bonus episodes, song demos, just sort of uh, ranting off the cuff uh, conversations, all sorts of different uh, bonus material, writing advice, uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. Uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and I answering uh, questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, thank you so much for supporting